Well, let's jump into the Word of God. I, if you have your Bible, jump with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We've been in a series called Holy Moments, and I want to encourage you that our desire as a church is not just to have moments, but to have holy moments, moments where we're seeking God at work um, in every possible way. And so we talked about Joseph. We've talked about the shepherds. We're going to talk about Mary today. And, and very specifically, we're going to talk about the power of different moments. So I want to encourage you, if you got your Bible, open up. If not, the words will, I think, be on the screen. Yeah, awesome. You guys are amazing. Let's jump there together. I just want to read verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Let's read that again. We're, we're, our hearts are ready. We're ready for the word. It says, In the sixth month, somebody say sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Gabriel is mentioned three times in the canon of Scripture once coming to Daniel, once coming to Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, who we'll talk about in a second, and then once coming to Mary, and he's sent to a town of Nazareth. And if you've ever wondered what the town of Nazareth is like, let me explain. Scholars and archaeologists believe that the town of Nazareth at the time of Jesus was about anywhere from 10 to 30 acres big, which is not very big for a town. So it's not unusual for like farms in this country to be 10,000 acres, right? Or the parking lot of an NFL stadium is more than 30 acres, right? So if you went to State Farm, that is bigger than the town of Nazareth. So it is a small parking lot town. And uh, we know that, um, let's just say it wasn't thought highly of because when Jesus calls Philip, Philip says, listen, I'm going to go get Nathaniel. And he goes to Nathaniel and he says, listen, in, in John chapter 1, he says, listen, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah is here. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Does anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I'm from that, a town like that. Anybody from a Nazareth town, right? When p people in your area would be like, oh, you're from, oh, okay. Like, that's Nazareth. It's like, it's the small, nothing town, maybe one stoplight, maybe excited when they get a Dollar General, right? You know what towns I'm talking about. The towns that uh, you have to slow down because all the cops do there is bus people for, I don't know, meth trafficking or speeding. That's the only options, right? I'm not putting too much on Nazareth, but I'm just saying that Nazareth wasn't considered a town of renown or fame, some of you, you're coming from a Nazareth, not literally that kind of town, but from that background, right? Some of you came in here this morning and you're from the kind of place that you're worried that if people really found out that you would be judged, like, oh, that's your background. You, you're coming from places maybe you thought you would never be in life. But I want to encourage you that God is beginning to pull you out of that place into his promise for your life. And I want to encourage you that you might think, you know what, I'm from a Nazareth-type family or a Nazareth-type financial situation or a Nazareth-type uh, education or whatever it might be. Maybe you think, I don't have the looks or the finances or the background to do what God's really called me to do. When we talk about great things, I don't have that. But I want to encourage you that you are exactly who God is looking for. Because from the beginning, God goes to places like Nazareth. He goes to these places and he does great things. And I want to encourage you as we read about what's possible through God to not doubt what God can do because you feel like you're from a place called Nazareth. 
Verse 27 says this. He says, he came from Galilee, um, to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in the previous week, I talked about Joseph a little bit and uh, his position and all that he was facing in marrying, you know, Mary, marrying Mary, and the, the situation they were in as they were engaged in the legal status of all that. But I just want as a reminder to remind everybody that Mary was likely somewhere around 15 years old. So I say that again to paint the picture of here is a young girl from a one-stop sign town who in the world's eyes at that time especially would be considered very low socially, very low politically, right? She was... Uh, a, a random young girl from a small town. And the angel comes to her, and here's what he says in verse 28. It says, Gabriel says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It says, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What a great verse, right? Says, he says, greetings, O oh, favored one. You would think that that would be an incredible moment when a, a supernatural force visited you and said, greetings, O oh, favored one. But if we're really honest, I think we would identify with Mary, who as a young teenager from a nothing town was probably freaked out that an angel was appearing her to her, telling her that God has favored her, right? And so she is attempting, according to Scripture, to discern. How many of you know discernment is good? Amen. To discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why would she be discerning? Well, in the Word of God, many times when uh, someone would be visited like this, it would be like a call to repentance or maybe not always a good thing, Right? When the prophet would come to your town, people weren't always psyched. When an angel appeared, they weren't always really relaxed. Sometimes it was terrifying when an angel appeared. And so she's trying to understand what's happening. But I also think there's this sense of confusion because she understood her own place in the social order, right? If someone showed up at your place of work and said, hey, You've been elected president. We talked about this with Joseph. You would be surprised. You're like, well, I don't really have the qualifications. You know, I don't know what they are anymore, but I don't think I have them. <laughs> right? I don't, I know I don't have them. Right? But now picture yourself 16 working at Best Buy. Right? Right? Checking out, making sure teens don't steer, steal earbuds or whatever you're doing. And an angel of the Lord appears to you and says, hey, just so you know, you're going to father the Savior of the world. That would also be shocking, right? So there's a sense of discerning that she's doing because in her mind, she's from Nazareth, she's from a nothing town, but the, but the angel says, listen, you've been chosen. And she says, how could it be me, right? Look at verse 29. It says, she was greatly troubled. She tried to discern. And verse 30 says, the angel said to her, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You've found favor with God. I love that. I love the study of Scripture. And in Scripture, that word favor is charis, which means unmerited favor. You found unmerited favor, favor that is beyond what you could ever deserve. You found that with God. 
What's amazing about this, this word is that the, the first time it shows up in the Old Testament, it's written about Noah who had found favor with God. And Noah, for those who have never heard of Noah, Noah was given the task by God, right, to build an ark so that as God comes to bring judgment against the evil people of the world, Noah and his family might be saved, right? So he says, listen, Noah, you found favor and you're going to bring about salvation. First time in the Old Testament. First time in the New Testament is right here where the angel is coming to Mary and he says, listen, through you, Mary, I'm going to bring about a savior who's gonna bring salvation and rescue the people from the evil of sin in the world. Are you still with me? Is the Bible good? And so here's what he says in verse 31. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now this is to fulfill a very, very famous prophecy have to understand that Mary is, um, is an Israelite. She's Jewish. And the Jewish people would go to the synagogue, to the temple, and they would hear the reading of the law and the prophets. And in the law and the prophets, there is prophecy about the Messiah that is to come. And when you see the comparison of all the prophecy and how it's fulfilled, it's absolutely incredible. That alone is miraculous. But the prophecy for Isaiah 7 14 says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which means obviously God with us so in this uh, moment the angel is pointing Mary back to a scripture back to a, a passage that she would have heard over and over and over again growing up it was very famous and I think that's even more fascinating because not only is it something she's heard before in the words of Isaiah, but I think it might even have give her a more like that can't be me kind of mentality, right? Imagine your whole people group is waiting and reading and believing the words of Isaiah, the prophet from God saying someday a Messiah will come. And then here's the angel who's saying, you know, that prophecy you've heard your whole life, that's now coming through you. That's crazy, right? That would be a wild experience to have. How many of us, honestly, if we heard that, we would probably say, that I, I can't be me, right? That can't be me. There's no way. Like, you got the wrong person. I'm not tall enough, or I'm not smart enough, or, man, I don't know. I, I'm just not ready for that. I don't know if I can handle that emotionally, right? Many of us would say, that, that, that can't be me, right? This 15-year-old girl from nothing Nazareth, Right? from the parking lot of the State Farm Stadium would certainly say, that can't be me, right? That can't be me. But here's what happens. Verse 32, it says, he continues, says, he'll be great. He'll be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is awesome because what's being spoken is a fulfillment of the promise given to King David, who we briefly mentioned in our, our series on Saul. We're going to talk more about in the new year. But King David was this exemplar of the, the king who was to come through Jesus Christ. And it was promised to David that through his lineage would come a Messiah. And so when he's calling back to this moment, he's calling back to Psalm 89, where it says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heavens. 
And I, and I just want to try to frame this, if I can. I know we're not in uh, Israel right now. We're not in that time. So it can be hard to get there in the framing in our mind. But we have to remember that God had promised to bring a Messiah. Some of you who were here, we've been, we've been in the Old Testament. You remember when God was promising over and over to bring his people into the land, to bring about a Messiah, to bring somebody through the law of David. You, you guys kind of remember that when we talked about that? But what happened is that the people had walked in this and walked away from God, even though the promise remained, they'd walked away from God for years and they'd been living in silence. So long, in fact, that the last time God spoke through a prophet was Malachi, which was 400 years before this moment. So God has not sent a prophet to say anything, 400 years of silence. So like how long America's been around again, basically, right? So two of us, silence, silence, nothing being spoken. And so for 400 years, they've been waiting for God to say something or those who were devout have, right? But nothing has come. And then in this moment, Gabriel appears first to Zechariah, then to Elizabeth, then to Mary. Can you imagine waiting 400 years for salvation? And then finally, right, there's silence, silence, silence. Finally, the answer comes. That would be a powerful moment, right? Finally, the answer comes. And so the answer is met with a question. In verse 34, jump with me to verse 34. It says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Great question. Right? <laughs> Good question. How will I understand how babies work? <laughs> how will this baby work? Right? That's a fair question. And here's the angel's response. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's stop there. I, I think often when we're in Scripture, we'll read 35. I'd like say, hey, here's how it happens. Here's how it's going to happen. But there's an even, there's something else important that's going to happen next. And I want us to key in on that, okay? Is that God is going to point to something that's going to affirm what he's doing. And sometimes God will do that. He's going to point to something that, to affirm what he's about to say. So I know it's really fun in the Christmas story, like when we have kids read it, and we're like, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and yada, 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 right? He'll be the Son of God. And we're like, hey, you know, thank you, Lucy. Good job, right? But there's more. There's even more here happening. So I want to go there. Verse 36, just key in with me. Uh, verse 36, it says, And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, somebody say sixth month, with her who was called barren. Did you, did you catch that? The angel is pointing to Elizabeth, who has now been pregnant for six months. We've said that together twice, six months. And then look at verse 37. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or basically saying, Your will be done. And the angel departed from her. Okay, wait, what just happened? Right? Mary says, How is this going to happen? The, 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 how is this thing going to occur? The thing that you've said that is universally, absolutely crazy for me to believe. How is that going to occur? And he says, Listen, the Holy Spirit's power is going to come upon you. But then he says, 
also, also Elizabeth, the barren one, she's pregnant. Why add that? Was the, wasn't the Holy Spirit power enough, right? Why add that? Because it, it, something changed here. Because afterwards, Mary responds with, from how will this happen? She responds with, your will be done. Are you with me? I don't want to jump up. I'm trying to keep my thoughts here together. I apologize. But she says, how will it be done? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. She's going to be full of the power of God. And also Elizabeth's pregnant. And then she's like, okay, yeah, your will be done. Right? Okay, yeah, that's cool with me. Yeah, great. Awesome. And the angel's like, cool, see ya. And leaves. Right? It's like, okay, she's got it, right? You know when you're having a conversation with somebody, and you're like, I don't feel like they have it. And so you just keep going. She's like, no, they got it. And he goes. Gabriel takes off. Okay, let's go back six months then, right? We said six months. Mary and Elizabeth, they're cousins. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're advanced in years. Scripture says they're advanced in years. Anybody here advanced in years? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I don't know why they feel advanced in years is harsh. We're going to have an advanced in years ministry. No, <laughs> I don't like that at all. I don't like that. <laughs> but they're advanced in years. A, a lot of scholars will say they were 60. A lot of that's kind of a general consensus around 60. I've seen some say as old as 80, but that feels real old. But let's say somewhere around 60. They were beyond what would be considered the childbearing age, right? They were past childbearing years. Gabriel says, Elizabeth, the barren one. And I, and I think just as much as now, it was then, the sting of being barren is very real. And just think about this. Zechariah was a priest. He was a priest that would go into the Holy of Holies, right? He went in. He had an encounter. How many times a day do you think Zechariah prayed? Many don't you think many of those times he was praying for a child? Those of you who have interceded or are interceding for children, right? If your job was literally to pray to God, don't you think you would sneak it in there every time? Now, and at some point, maybe 50 or 55 or 58, you'd have to think, it's, we've prayed, we've prayed, we've prayed, and now I just, I don't know, right? I don't know. We're past and I'm sure they had to weigh on them, weigh on Zechariah. Now my wife is called the barren one. But what happened? God came to Elizabeth and said, you'll bear a child. Why? Because your child's going to be a sign of what's to come. It's crazy to imagine, but it happened. And Elizabeth is now pregnant, and she's six months pregnant. Why is six months important? Well, for one, it's hard to hide a six-month pregnancy. It takes work. For those of you who've been pregnant, like six months, like you're close, right? We can see, right? We can see that you're pregnant. And so what's happened is this miraculous birth has begun to change. It's crazy to imagine that it happened, that someone who's likely in their 60s, who was the barren one, is now pregnant. But the angel says, listen, this is going to be a sign. Your cousin is pregnant. Are you still with me? He throws this in. So what happens? It says in verse 39, in those days, or another way of saying that is a few days later, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. It says, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing. 
I love this. I love this twofold. One, because Mary gets this word and he says, listen, the barren one, has, she says, how is this going to happen for me? And, she, and God says, because it happened for Elizabeth. And she's like, well, I better go see. How many of you would have gone to see? Right? Well, let's go see. All know. He said six months. All know. If it's, I'm, he's a liar. That wasn't an angel. I just ate bad, you know, shawarma. I don't know. Right? <laughs> but if, right, that's a good sign. Right? That things are going, right? That it convinced her enough to say, your will be done. And so she goes and she sees Elizabeth. She sees the miracle. She sees that the baron was pregnant. Here's what I love too. It says, when Elizabeth sees her, the baby leaps in her womb. Why? Because she was in the presence of the baby that was in Mary's womb. And the presence of God and the Holy Spirit at work leapt in her and the Spirit came upon her. That's powerful. That means Mary, or Elizabeth, six months, a six-month-old baby is able to recognize divinity. It also means that the very tiny baby Jesus who was, uh, we don't know how far along, but long enough that Mary is not showing because she's not announced that she's pregnant, that that small of a baby is also able to carry divinity. It's often a question I have for progressive believers is, Jesus Christ, was he fully divine in the womb? Could he carry divinity? And was it recognized by the divinity of another unborn child? And in the word of God, of which I follow, it says they do, which is awesome. It's very cool. And so there's this powerful moment of divinity and a move of God and a leaping in the womb. It doesn't say he leapt in the womb because Mary or Elizabeth got excited, right? There's a very clear reason that he leapt. But I love this moment because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says, verse 42. It says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Pause there. Nobody knows Mary's pregnant. Here's Elizabeth yelling it out in front of her family. Some of you have this family member, right? But she begins to what? She begins to prophesy, speaking out the things of God, right, and the things of the Lord. He says, uh, blessed is the fruit of your womb, verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, my baby in my womb leaped for joy. She says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is an incredible prophetic word. Elizabeth does not know Mary's pregnant. She certainly doesn't know that baby is Jesus Christ, right? Are you with me? We're, we, we read the Bible, we're like, yeah, of course, that's super cute. <laughs> Here's a woman who could be stoned to death for the things Elizabeth is yelling, right? Heresy, one, right? Pregnancy outside of marriage, adultery, possibly, right? And Elizabeth is like, pray. She's recognizing things because of the Holy Spirit upon her. And she begins to declare the things of God. Not only, look what she declares, right? Not only that, that there is a fruit in her womb growing, there's something growing, that she's blessed, but also that she's going to be the mother of Elizabeth's Lord. Who's Elizabeth's Lord? It's capital L, right? Yahweh, right? He's of Jehovah, Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of all, all that was, all that is, all that will be. I love this moment because it affirms the belief of Mary. 
Did you see that last part? If you got your Bible, go to that last part. He says, verse, she says, verse 45, blessed is she, blessed are you, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment. This tells us something. Go back with me in your word. This tells us something. Go back in me in your, go back with me in your word and look at verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We know in that moment that she believed because of what Elizabeth confirms. Are you with me? Elizabeth is confirming and she's saying, Mary, when you heard the angel and he told you, you said, your will be done. Wow. That's a powerful moment. A powerful, powerful moment. That Mary would surrender the totality of her will to God. Are you with me? That Mary would choose in that moment to surrender the entirety of her will to the Lord. And she prays that prayer just like the Lord's Prayer. Do you know the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of surrender? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what she says. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary knew the journey ahead would be tough. Ben, you guys can come up. Mary knew that there would be setbacks. Mary knew that there would be difficulty. But Mary chose in that moment to surrender to God. Because Mary knew something. And I think Mary understood or at least continued to conceptualize something throughout her life. But surrender is not just one moment in time. It's moments all the time. Surrender is not just something we do occasionally. It is a lifestyle. When we follow God, when we choose to say yes to God, we live a lifestyle of surrender. Here's Mary, who's faced with a profoundly unknown thing, but she's told, listen, here's the promise, here's the miracle, and it says in that moment, her response is, I surrender to you, Lord. I give it to you. I give my life to you. Yes, your will be done in my life. See, surrender is a lifestyle. Mary had to live a life of surrender. To follow God is a life of surrender. We all have something to surrender. Some of us, it's a relationship. Some of us, it's a job opportunity. Some of us, man, we, we have a kid. We just need to surrender to God. Not like leave him here at church, though you might want to. But you're just like, God, he's yours. You need to move him. You need to stir him. Come on, some of your parents, you've been there, right? Lord, he's yours. I, I dedicate him to you. And I trust you. I surrender him. Sometimes, though, there's things we surrender. Maybe it's a frustration or, or something from our past, we like moments of surrender because then the next moment we can take it back and we'll come down the altar. We'll lay something down to God, but then we'll pick it back up real quick before we leave so it can go with us, right? We'll go away to like a retreat and we'll have the whole time. And then like right before we leave, we'll make sure to baggy that thing up so it can come back with us to our house. But we need to live a lifestyle of surrender. That like Mary says, God, I, your will be done. I'm your servant. Here's the reality. If you want to see his kingdom come, you have to pray, your will be done. Your will be done. It's not your kingdom come, my will be done. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. Like Mary, I'm the servant of the Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In my life, if you want to see his 
kingdom come the kingdom work in your finances you have to pray your will be done in your family you have to pray your will be done in your marriage you have to pray your will be done in your work you have to pray your will be done in your attitude in your attitude you have to pray your will be done some of you maybe it's surrendering your past and you need to say god I surrender my past. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Some of you, it's bitterness you're holding on to. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Some of you, it's fear. And you just need to surrender. It's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to maybe be tension in that moment. But like Mary, you just need to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. And so I surrender. See, we look at Mary, we see one moment, but this is many moments of surrender. And any of you who follow Jesus for a long time, you know, it's a life of surrender. I believe the Lord is asking us today, what is it that we need to surrender like Mary? We just need to say, God, I lay this at your feet. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Maybe it's a family member. You're like, I've just been wrestling over them and I try to drag them into the truth and they never want to go. And every holiday is awkward. And I just need to lay that relationship at the feet of Jesus and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Just me on that family member? Okay. Some of my family goes to this church. It's you. No. Maybe it's your finances. You're like, this has become the God of my life. And I can't say your kingdom come, your will be done, but I need to just come to the altar and say, God, I just I give you everything. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Direct me, lead me. Are you with me this morning? Let's do this. Would you stand with me? As we stand, Lord, I just pray, put, a, put us in a posture of surrender right now. God, as we activate this part of our life, surrendering, God, we, we look at Mary and we say, wow, what a blessing that she said, your will be done. That you gave her a promise and she said, God, I, I don't know everything that's going to happen, but I pray your will be done. And God, there's things in our life that we need to surrender. Surrendering is not being weak, it's being strong. It's not giving up, it's letting go. It's saying, God, I give it to you. It's not giving up the fight for our family or our marriage. It's saying, God, I give you the fight for my marriage. It's not giving up caring about being discerning in our resources, our job, our finances, our schools, our relationships, whatever it is. It's about saying, God, Holy Spirit, I need the discerning power of the Holy Spirit here. I surrender it to you. With our heads bowed right here in this moment, the most important thing we can ever surrender to Jesus is our whole heart. And we know from the word of God that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it requires surrender. If you've been in a church that says it doesn't require surrender, then, then you, you've missed the full freedom. Because when we surrender our hearts and lives, it says we're given new life. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But to be in Christ, we must surrender our life to him and say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. So if you're here with our eyes closed and head bowed, and you're here and you would say, Lord, for the first time, I need to confess you as my Lord and Savior. That I need you, Jesus. And so I surrender my life to you. If that's you and you say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior, would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? You say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Okay, you can put it back down. 
I want to pray over you this morning, and then I want to encourage you after service to come speak with me. We have some resources for you. We want to walk that faith out with you. We want to get you in a small group coming up. We want to help you walk through the Word of God. I want to encourage you that you had to make that choice here kind of by yourself, you and the Lord, but you don't have to walk it out by yourself. People want to walk with you. So I want to pray for you. We pray, Lord, I thank you that if anyone is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. God, I thank you that there's hope and healing through you, hope for every future and healing for every past. And so I just pray right now for the heart of every person who said yes to you and surrendered to you. God, I just pray that you would meet them right now. You begin to speak to their heart and renew them that they are born again through you, Jesus Christ. And though it sounds so simple, it doesn't change how good it is, God, and how great it is to serve you, Lord. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Okay, the second thing today, we're in a posture of surrender. Are you still with me? Posture of surrender here. Remember we said we weren't going to run out during the response time? Because I got some good testimonies about yesterday I don't want you to miss. I've got some things I want to share with you that are really cool. But I want to tell you that I believe in stepping out as a way of just activating our faith because we're not only spiritual, but we're physical. And sometimes when we move in the physical, it just informs and reminds our hearts it's very sacramental in a way. It's kind of like when we take communion, we do something physical that reminds us of something spiritual. And so here's what I want to do this morning. Our prayer team is going to be up here. And so if you want to come up and pray with them, come up and pray. But the band's going to lead us in singing this. And I want to pray for you. If you have something in your life that you need to surrender, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Just come up to the altar. This front part's the altar. And just take a moment and say, Jesus, I surrender it to you. Whatever that is, lay it down and then leave without it. If you're wrestling and you're like, man, I need someone to pray with me. I'm really struggling to leave this behind. You got some things in your life like, I need someone to pray with me. Pray with somebody and then leave it and go. Are you with me? And go back to your seat. Don't go out the door. Remember, testimonies. Go back to your seat. Can we pray together? Then I'm just going to release you, okay? God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your spirit's here. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to move. God, I thank you. We've already been moving in our seats this morning because we know you're doing a good work here. But there's things in this room that got to get laid down. There's things that have been held on too long. And we've been praying your kingdom come, but we've been honest. And honestly, we've been thinking our will be done. But this morning, we're your will be done. Like Mary, we want to say, let it be according to your word this morning. So whatever it is, God, whether it's a relationship, whether it's bitterness, whether it's struggles we have, maybe it's just pain and hurt, whatever it is, I thank you that as we release them to you and we say, God, I give them to you, that you do not leave us empty, but you fill us with your spirit and you renew us. So no matter what, who comes to the altar is filled by your spirit. And God, as we step out, just as a physical activation of our faith, God, I pray a renewal upon every spirit that as we surrender, we are renewed. I pray over you that as you surrender, that you are renewed by the word of God and the truth in the Holy Spirit this morning. I just release you right now. If you'd say, I have things to lay down, just come forward and take a moment right at the altar. Let's respond together. You want to pray with somebody? Come up and pray. Let's worship together this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.